Jonah chapter 3, we're going to pick up. This is kind of a part two, if you will, of this book. It's the way that the book of Jonah was written. It was written in, in uh, if, if, if you were to put it like a play, there'd be two acts. And then within each act, there's two parts. And so this would be, uh, we just finished intermission and we're coming back to act two, part one. And this is Jonah in Nineveh. So if you, if you've not been, uh, with us every week, the last couple of weeks and, or just as a refresher for all of us, the first week we looked at Jonah in Gath Hefer and, uh, Fourth of July weekend about, uh, how Jonah's, uh, patriotism got in the way of his Christianity. And then we moved on from Jonah there to Jonah in the boat, Jonah in the storm and, uh, how God is willing to, uh, reprove us. He's willing to chasten us. Uh, who are his children when we disobey. He's not willing to let us just go on and do whatever we want. Uh, he spanks us because he loves us, because he cares about uh, what we do with, with our lives, but he also cares because our actions reflect on him. And so we, we carry that family name as his children, so we want uh, he wants us to live it right. And then last week we looked at Jonah in the whale, probably the most popular uh, story in the whole book and maybe in the maybe one of the most in the whole bible but Jonah uh using God using the whale as a as a transportation as a method to get Jonah back in in line and then this morning we get to uh, Jonah in Nineveh this is Jonah chapter 3 is kind of where Jonah was supposed to we were trying to get to this whole time all the way back, Jonah chapter 1, this is what we're trying to be. We're trying to get Jonah to Nineveh to preach a message. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, we're, we're not really going to look at it very much today, but uh, the command specifically that God tells Jonah in chapter 1 versus what he tells him in chapter 3, we'll see in just a second, they're slightly different, but I think it had a different effect on it. If the story that Jonah, that Jonah 3 tells us that they had 40 days from the time, uh, from the, from the preaching until there was a destruction, I wonder if part of Jonah's mentality was, let me run and burn up 40 days before they hear the message and let them be destroyed without being told. Uh, we see Jonah uh, in that passive-aggressive kind of nature uh, throughout throughout his story, and especially next week uh, as we focus, we finish the story uh, focusing on Jonah. This week, we kind of take the, the eyes off of Jonah and we look at the Nineveh, uh, the city of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh itself. Uh, and so Jonah enters Nineveh and uh, begins to to do that thing that God had finally instructed him to do. He's standing on dry ground once again for the first time in a couple of days. Have you ever been on a uh, anybody ever been on a cruise boat before? You've been on a cruise, just just a few lucky ones here. Uh, they're, they're, it's awesome. But one of the craziest feelings is when you get off the boat after a week and you're standing on dry land, dry ground, and you're still swaying, and you're not even listening to music. And you're just like, you're just used to the rocking of the boat. And, and then it takes a day or two. And I imagine Jonah was kind of doing that. Imagine the, the, the sight that Jonah must have been to live in the digestive, uh, track of, of, a, of, a, of an anything. <laughs> and, and the, the acids that would have broken down the food of that animal, uh, would have, uh, definitely messed with Jonah's health and well-being. Uh, at the very least, he came out with a sniffle and a cough. But I think that, uh, he probably looked, uh, the part, uh, that you would think that looks like, um, something vomited out. And hopefully Jonah took a detour very quickly to uh, take a shower and a bath. But at the same time, it'd be very reasonable to think, hey, God uh, only gave me so many chances. I'm not, uh, I'm not detouring anymore. He might think I'm trying to quit again. And so maybe Jonah just went as is. Who knows? 
but it added to the it added to the believability definitely definitely of his story. He gets uh, he gets into into um, he goes to Nineveh. And the Bible tells us a couple of interesting phrases and, and that are ones of uh, lots of debate and questioning. And uh, I'll just bring them out just for your uh, just so you can see that they're there. And we're not going to try to figure them all out this morning. Uh, but the verse number three says that um, that now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Now, there's a lot of debate on what that means. Did it take three days to get there? Uh, if you if you had a map, I didn't put a map up on, in, in our notes this morning, but uh, remember the first map where the Mediterranean Sea is? And here's the Mediterranean Sea. And then uh, Israel is on the coast, kind of towards the south of it. And then uh, you have to go all the way up to the top of the Mediterranean Sea and then all the way east across the Sea of Galilee, across the river, the big, you know, the big bodies of water that divide that kind of that promised land area. And then you go over into where Iraq is. Um, if the whale... Uh, some people say that the, the whale kind of spit Jonah up in Nineveh. Well, the problem with that is that basically the whale would have had to swim all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way around Africa, and then up through the Arabian, uh, was it the Arabian Gulf or something like that, and in three days. And so I don't think the whale did that, uh, but I do think that the whale probably spit him up closer to the top northeast corner of the sea, which would have been about 200 miles away. So I don't think that Jonah, I've heard the story, maybe you've always thought this way, Jonah made a three-day trip in one day. I don't think that that really um, uh, is is reasonable to think, even if we were to try to do that in our car. I don't know where you can get in three days, what a three-day trip is from here, but then trying to do that in one day, it would just wipe you out, right? So I don't think that's necessarily what happened. Uh, some people say that uh, there would be a customs that would have taken place to uh, get to, you know, get into the city of Nineveh. I don't really know if that really matters to what we're going to look at today. But Jonah gets uh, into Nineveh, and he begins to preach this message uh, uh, to, to Ninevites, to the people of Nineveh. And they were, remember, we go back to our first, our first week looking at this. They were not, uh, they were enemies. Assyria had, uh, controlled, uh, Israel for a time. And Jonah had been the one to prophesy that they would be, they would kind of break the bands, if you will, of Assyrian bondage. And they would be, uh, restoring the land. God would restore the land that uh, the Assyrians had taken from them. Jonah got to be this guy. Obviously, the Assyrians weren't buddy-buddy with Jewish prophets. But here, we see Jonah stepping into the, uh, into the, into the city, and however it looked, uh, we know what the effect was. He preached the message. It wasn't one of God's grace. It wasn't one of God's compassion. It wasn't one of God's love. He didn't use a flannel graph. He didn't have PowerPoint. He didn't have... Uh, you know, tear-jerking illustrations. He preached. If if this is all that he preached, at what is recorded, uh, a very short, sweet, and simple sermon, but one of doom and gloom and judgment. A turn or burn would be the only way you could condense it, uh, except for turn or burn kind of gives you the the hope of of uh, of a second chance. Here he says in verse number four, "Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown." There is no hope here. This is just saying the clock has started. I tried to delay. I, I wanted to burn some time off. I, and that brings up a lot of questions, at least to me. Why did God give him another 40 days? If he, you know, if the if the message wasn't one of hope, why did God give him 40 days? The benefit of of uh, having seen the whole story at one time, we can see God is going to give them mercy. But uh, they didn't know that at the time. They just know 40 days and the clock starts now. 
uh, you, are, you are wicked, you are violent, you are uh, corrupt, you are evil, your stench has risen up to the nostrils of a holy God, and he is no longer going to let this, let this go. And so Jonah is the one who uh, delivers this message. But what we see, and what is so remarkable as I read through this, this chapter, is verse number 5. But the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed. They heard this message. They heard this uh, this uh, doom or glo- doom and gloom type of a of a of a, a not even a warning. This is judgment's coming, and they believed God. That tells me a couple of things. Number one, they believed that the, that there was a true God. They believed that this God was true. They didn't worship this God. They didn't worship the God we serve. They didn't worship Jonah's God, but they believed that this God was capable of bringing said judgment 40 days from now. If they didn't believe that, then they wouldn't have done what they did, as we read in the passage. They believed in a true God. Number two, they believed in a true prophet. They believed that not only was God who He said He was, but Jonah was who He said He was. He wasn't some crazy old guy that stunk really bad with this really wild message. I wonder if Jonah told him, you know, he would have had to explain himself. Why do you stink so bad? Why do you look that way? You know, kids are, are not very good at, at being um, uh, politically correct, or what's that word? They're not polite. And like, you stink, you know, or something like that. And I imagine there must have been one or two kids come up and say that. Why is his hair funny? You know, or why is... Why has he got a fish sticking out of his ears? I don't know what, what the what the thing was, but these would be the these would be the, the the perfect time for Jonah to explain where he had been the last three days, and what that was like, and and maybe that had something to do with uh, his message, and and maybe uh, this is just the title of his message. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We don't know, but we know that they believed not only that God was true, and and this God was who He said He was. Imagine if. I mean, we believe in, in, in only one God, right? We believe in, in Jehovah God, Jesus, uh, the Son, uh, the Father, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Imagine if someone came in, maybe some African uh, voodoo doctor or something like that, and he said, "Your God, my God is going to judge you in 40 days. Now, believing what we believe about who the real God is and how uh, uh, powerless uh, these other quote-unquote gods are, I don't think it would affect us. But here, the roles are reversed, and this heathen city gets a message from a prophet of God that says, judgment's coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. And they got the message, and they, they believed that, th- that this God was true, and this man was actually from God. They believed that his message was true. They believed judgment really is coming. They believed that this is really going to happen. This is not a, this is not a hoax. You've seen those, uh, every once in a while someone gets this idea, Jesus is coming back and he puts a date on it. And that's like almost a guarantee that Jesus isn't coming back on that day. Now, the Bible says no one knows uh, the hour and the time when, when he comes, but uh, they write these down and they, maybe it was, a, if you can go back in your mind to, to, to 1999 and, and Y2K and that must be it. And then 2012, because the Mayan calendar ended and I'm thinking maybe they just got tired of writing numbers and so they just stopped then. Who knows? But, you know, those dates come and some people got really antsy. Some people started stockpiling water. And some people started, you know, selling their house. And some people started, uh, you know, do, doing all these crazy things, bunkers and, and, you know, barricading themselves in, buying weapons and knives and all these. And then it came and went and it was just as any other day. You know, and they felt foolish. And hopefully you're not one of those people and you realize like, oh, what am I going to do with all this extra bottle of water? 
you know, what am I going to do with, uh, I don't, I, what am I going to do with, you know, 17,000 pounds of powdered milk? I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to, how I'm going to get rid of this now. And maybe eBay, maybe that's where that kind of originated from. I don't know. But that, the, the idea of, uh, of, of something like that is either bought or not. And when those types of things came in and come into our lives, we either jump into it and we, and we, we make precautions or we say, I don't think so. And we just kind of live our lives as, as normal. It just kind of goes on the very next day and you wake up and nothing happens. Do you remember those dates in your life? I remember when I would, when I turned 18, I thought it would feel different. Remember when I turned 21, I thought it would feel different. Uh, when I hit 30 and you finally broke out of my twenties and hit 30. Didn't feel any different. One of these days, it probably will. I'll get old and, and, it, and I won't be able to stand up or straight or something. I'm like, oh, there it is. That's what I've been waiting all my life for. But I don't really don't want that day to come either. So, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that everything still feels kind of the same. But, uh, you know, they believed in this message. They believed that, that, that the message that this man of God was preaching, they believed that the God he was representing was real. They believed that he was a true prophet. They believed that what he was saying, but also, and this wasn't included in the message. But they believed that mercy was possible. I want to show you that. I think this is incredible. Because what verse 5 tells us what happened, and then verse 6 and 7 tell us how verse 5 came to be. Verse 6 says, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. I notice that the, the animals have to partake in this fast. And, and uh, they're not even the ones that sin, but they're going to they're gonna help uh, show some repentance. Verse number 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And notice verse 9, Who can tell? If God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. They repented. They did all of these things. We're going to see in just a second. Not with the guarantee of mercy. We have Bible verses today that tell us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. They didn't have that. We know that if we go to God and we ask for forgiveness for specific sins that we've committed, we ask him and we know that God will forgive anything. First John tells me my heart condemns me. God is greater than my heart and God knows all things. I don't have to hide anything from him. I can go to him and I can I can find mercy. I can find grace and forgiveness. Nineveh did not have that advantage. They didn't have those Bible verses in hand. They didn't know those uh, those truths and those promises and mercy was not necessarily uh, on the on the docket, if you will. They just did it out of a desperate last measure, if you will. Who knows? Maybe God will be merciful to us. And they began to straighten their ways. I want to show you what they did. And this is really the meat of where we're, of where we're getting to. These things in verses 5 through 8 tell us the effects of the, of the, of the word believe in verse number 5. Because they believed, some things happened in their lives. First, uh, first thing is there that they fasted. Uh, they, 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 they fasted from food and water. Now, if you, if you think about it logically, that probably wouldn't, wasn't a 40 day fast. You can't, you can't, uh, have your animals go 40 days without water, uh, and things like that. But it would have been, it would have been at least a lengthy amount of time for them to, to show God, hey, we are, we are trying to get your attention to fast. They fasted from water and they fasted from food. They wore sackcloth and they sat in ashes. This would have been an outward expression of a symbolic, uh, 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 humbling uh, going on inside of their inside of their hearts. They sat in ashes 
and, uh, and, and, and covered themselves in dust. And, and, and the king laid aside his, his royal garments and sat in sackcloth. It'd be itchy. Imagine wearing a burlap sack with nothing else uh, underneath to uh, make it smooth and comfortable. It's a very uncomfortable garment. You know, you know when you get something new, a new shirt maybe, uh, and, you, and you forget to take that little plastic tag out and it's kind of poking you? And, and it just bothers you all day long. Or you get a rock in your shoe, but that's all over your body. And not only does the king do this and his nobles, his princes, his government leaders, he has he instructs everybody in the entire kingdom to dress in sackcloth. The burlap industry just, I mean, increased uh, phenomenally during that time. And then they are sitting in ashes. They are filthy, dirty. They are humbling themselves. No one is too good to recognize we are as a nation, as a city, we are in big trouble. This God is about to send judgment down on us. And so they are trying to, uh, if you think about most other religions, they are trying to turn the favor of that God towards them. Uh, Jesus is the only God whose favor is already towards us. He's trying to turn the people back to Him. Uh, but this one, they're in, in their true fashion, they are trying to get that, they're trying to appease his anger. They're trying to get him to not do the things that he had promised to do. And then it said that they they prayed, they cried mightily unto God, confessing their sins, maybe more than likely beseeching him uh, to to not uh, do anything uh, that he had promised to do to them. And, and, and again, with that hope of verse number nine, who can tell? Who knows? Maybe we can get something to do. But these first three things were only attention grabbers. These aren't really the things that made the difference. If we were to be able to interview God and find out why did you uh, withhold the judgment on Nineveh, we wouldn't find out because they fasted. It wouldn't be because they wore sackcloth or because they sprinkled ashes on their head. And it might not even be because they prayed, but that last thing we see in verse, we see it displayed in verse number eight. Turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. They repented. They actually turned away from the thing that they were doing that got them in trouble in the first place. I want to, I want to read a couple of verses to you. It's in Isaiah 58. If you want to get there in your, in your Bible, you can read it there, but I put it up on the screen because I wanted you to see this. Uh, Isaiah 58 and, uh, talks about Israel in the same predicament. They are, uh, in trouble. And they are trying to do certain things, spiritual things, that are not working, and God explains it to them. I'm going to read it here because it's easier for me to see it than up there. Verse 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. So right here, we have a group of people that God says, they fast, they seek me daily. Well, I, 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 we're about to get into the fasting here. But he says, they seek me daily as like a nation, a righteous nation would. They're doing the things that a righteous nation would. We, we look in verse 3, it says, wherefore, wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. He says, we fasted, God, why aren't you doing? Why haven't you gotten, why hasn't this changed anything? We've started to do these spiritual things and it hasn't changed anything. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, and this is God again, 
In the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? He's saying, is this the type of fasting that I wanted you to do? The things that you've been doing, the things that you've been exacting your labor, you don't have the time to really dig into all of this, but they were basically, if we want to say, commercializing the fast. They were, uh, they were not treating it the way that they should have done, maybe outwardly, but not internally. It wasn't, the fast was not what it was supposed to be doing. And that could be said, uh, as a whole for the nation of Israel. It seems like in every, in any point in their history, they outwardly, they did all the right actions, but inwardly, uh, it was, it, it, it didn't click. Verse number five, he says, is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day unto the Lord? He describes everything that the people of Nineveh just did. He says, is it, is it a fast? Is it what I'm wanting for you to sit in sackcloth and ashes? Is it a fast that I want for you to, to stop eating? Is it a fast for you to bow down, to humble yourself? to pray. Are these the things that I really, really want from you? And he goes on, he answers his own question in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. We won't read any more, but that's, that's what he's saying. He said, you and I have very different understandings of what fasting is. You think that fasting is one thing, and it really doesn't matter what you think. Because when you fast, you're trying to get my attention. You're trying to get something from me. And so if you really want that, if you want it to be effective, you better figure out what I think a fast is. And he says, are these fasting things? Now, if we were to, if we were to look at that verse, we'd say, yeah, it's, I mean, that, wow, that guy's spiritual. I mean, he, he, he sits in sackcloth and ashes and he, and he, and he stops eating for, he skips meals and, and, and he prays and, and all of these things. But God says, there's something greater that I, you're not doing. And he says, you gotta, you gotta stop doing the bad things. You gotta change what you've been doing. I want to read that verse to you again. It says, uh, the, to loose the bands of wickedness. You're doing all these spiritual activities, but you haven't gotten rid of the wicked stuff. You're doing, you're just adding good to the bad. It's still bad. And God says, this is, that's why your fast is ineffectual. So if we take that and we apply that mentality to Nineveh, it didn't matter that they sat in sackcloth and ashes. It didn't matter that they proclaimed the fast for beasts and, 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 and people. It didn't matter that they prayed. What mattered was the fact that they actually turned from their wickedness. They actually changed their ways. In our day, in our society, we see people come and go in church and we call it they got religion. And what happens is, I wrecked my life. I ruined my life. It's a mess. It's a shambles. And so I go to God and I ask him, like I talked about last week, I ask him to fix it. And God begins to fix my life and things start getting good. And so what do I do? All right. Now that I got that fixed, I can go back and do what I want to do until my life gets all messed up. And where do I go? I go back to God and I say, God, it's broken. And so God fixes it out of his love and his mercy. And then it's fixed. And God says, Look what I can do with this. And no, 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 I want this. And we keep that for ourselves. And we go back and we do the things that we want to do. And we treat God as a fixer. Nineveh somehow got this idea of we've got to stop going back and forth. We need to just focus on what this God wants us to do. They fasted. They prayed. They sat in sackcloth. All of those things just to grab God's eye. And then God says, okay, let's see what you're going to do now. 
and they repented of the evil. They repented of the violence. And God said, all right, there's some change there. Now I can fix things. You, It's not just an outward expression. If you ever... We all have friends and family members that kind of jump on these fads, the diet fads. The uh, they're the kind of person that has the newest of everything. You know, they they watch the Home Shopping Network and they buy all of these things. And then, but so when that person gets excited about something, for those of us around them, we don't get excited for them because we know this too shall pass. It's not going to last. They're, there, you know, the, this diet or this idea, or I'm not, you know, uh, we had some kids in high school and I was working at the school. This one girl, uh, she decided she was going to be a vegan or vegetarian. I can't remember which one she was going to be, but it didn't last very long. But, uh, this boy who liked this girl and he had, he knew there was no way that she would ever like him. He all of a sudden became a vegan. And can you imagine a 16, 17 year old high school boy, uh, all of a sudden cutting out all meat and dairy and, and everything that tastes delicious. And so he's sitting at lunch and none of the boys, of friend, we all knew what he was doing. We all knew why he was doing it. And I would sit and eat lunch with them and we would make sure that we enjoyed our food ever so much the more in front of this newly reformed vegan. It didn't last. You know when he found out it wouldn't last? When she said, I still don't like you. I'm still not going to go out with you. Even if you be, that's great if you want to eat crunchy, but that's not, uh, that's not going to change my, my way. And so you know what he did? It didn't, it didn't stick for him. And so he went back to eating food, real food, good food, delicious food. And he was much happier. Uh, because it wasn't something that really, really changed. It was just a temporary thing. It was maybe a, I'll try this. We've all tried stuff like that before. You go on these starve yourself diets, or you go on these, uh, I'm gonna run eight miles every day, and you've never run before. You know, I'll try that until I get to the end of the blog. I'm like, no, I better find something else. And we go back and we figure out something other. Well, I like being fat, or whatever the case may be. We just uh, talk ourselves into whatever, because the true changes are the things that last. And in our lives, in Israel's lives, in Nineveh's lives, it is very obvious to God, who sees everything anyway, what really clicked in our lives. Let me make two, uh, two or three statements this morning about this idea of belief. Number one, believing requires no effort. It requires no action. But it does produce those things. To believe something, you don't have to do anything. Just believe it. But if you truly believe it, you'll do something about it. Getting saved. What do you have to do to be saved? Nothing. You just got to believe it. Well, what about all those good Christian works? You don't have to do any of those things to be saved. What about turning over that new leaf? You don't have to do any of those things to be saved. But if you don't do those things, it's a good guarantee that you probably didn't truly believe. The Bible tells us that by our fruit, we are known. And so if there is no fruit in my life, it could be because there was no real change in my life. So belief doesn't cost anything. It doesn't, it doesn't require action. It doesn't require an effort. But if it's true, it will produce those things. I put some verses in your notes there. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. You can't separate faith and works. They go together. 
Jesus says, if you're going to believe me, you're going to do something with that, with that belief. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? We only truly believe the things that motivate us to action. If you really believed that, um, okay, if you really believed that uh, the fire whistle meant something that affected you, if you knew, let's say that the fire hall had figured out some way to uh, come up with a special personalized ringtone, if you will, for each person in this area. And so when you heard that whistle going off, you knew that it was yours or not. And if you heard that whistle and that, and that whistle popped up and it was yours and you believed them, what would you do? Right now, you'd jump up and you'd run out of here and you'd go home. You'd, you'd try to figure out, you'd try to save your stuff because you really believe that something's there. It's like the, the, the old story about the boy who cried wolf. You know, he cried wolf the first time. He got all the townspeople to come out and check it out because they really believed that there was a wolf, but there was no wolf. So they went back home. He did it a couple of times. Finally, when there was a wolf, there, there, it was truth, but they didn't believe, and so they didn't come out anymore. Because belief is, is that which moves us to action. How many of you believe that airplanes are a safe way to travel? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, if you've never ridden on an airplane, you can't say that, okay? Because I've met so many people, like, I don't trust them things. I'm like, well, goodness, I mean, you know, I mean, how many planes are up in the air right now and and, you know, you only hear about once or twice. I mean, it's because it's, you don't get fender benders with airplanes. You know, it's, with a car, you can coast to a stop, maybe, traffic accidents. Usually there's a fiery crash at the end of every airplane accident. But they're, they're a safe way to travel. But there are some people who don't believe. They don't trust them. And we know that because they don't get on them. They won't get on them. They're, ah, no, no, I'm not putting myself in a sardine can and rocketing myself through space. But they serve peanuts. It's awesome. You can watch TV. Uh, but that's, that's what, that's what, uh, that's what belief does. It moves us to action. Number two, true belief requires response. It requires response. It's going to, uh, it's going to need something if it's really, really honest belief. If you, if you're looking in James, it's in your notes, but if you're looking in James in verse 19, being moved emotionally or intellectually is not enough. It's not true belief. Cause notice what James tells us in verse, in verse 19. He says, Thou believest that there is one God. I think you all believe that, right? There's only one God. He says, good, thou doest well. But notice what he says. The devils also believe. Satan himself believes there's only one God. And they tremble about it. That's emotionally being moved. But that doesn't change anything for them. Just getting it, you know, the, the heart welled up, the tears rolling down our face maybe, or the, oh, I'm going to do something. But we don't do anything. It doesn't change anything, right? You watch those motivational things on, on, you know, the, you know, if you're thinking about getting into a workout program, maybe you're watching something, or maybe if you watch Rocky and you decide, I'm going to be a boxer, I'm going to go running, I'm going to hit slabs of meat, or I'm going to, or we watch the Olympics, you know, you watch the Olympics, you're like, man, I wish I could do that. I need to get myself back in shape. And so we start, we start thinking about it, but it doesn't change anything, does it? Not until you actually put those sneakers on and do it. And I'm one of those kind of guys, like, I'll, I'll, I have to watch it or I'll go out, I'll buy all the equipment. And then quit. And I didn't even try it out yet. Because 
I really get pumped up for this until it's time to actually do it. And I'm like, yeah, never mind. I don't want to do that anyway. It's not as fun as I thought it was. You mean there's sweat involved? You mean you have to work? You mean it's not instant? It's not like 30 pounds in the first workout? You got to put time and effort into this? Eh, I don't know. I'll go find the other miracle cure. You know, 35 day miracle cleanse or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, and, and you can look like this. It's like, wait a minute. Those guys aren't even the same person. The before and after. How did you, how did you figure that out? Because we, when, when our belief really clicks, when it really latches on, we're going to respond to it. Just being moved emotionally or just being moved intellectually, getting all the facts doesn't change anything. You've got to respond. There's, there's a passage on, I'll, I put in your notes. You can read through it. Luke 11 talks about Jonah and he talks about Jonah being a sign to Nineveh, just as Jesus was a sign to his generation in Jerusalem. And he basically said that Nineveh is going to stand in judgment of you because they heard Jonah's message and they repented and one greater than Jonah is standing in front of you, Jerusalem, and you won't believe. He's talking of himself. And he's saying they're going to stand in judgment of you because they heard a man give a message and that was enough and they responded and they repented and yet you won't respond to Christ. You can see it. And you can hear it, but it's useless unless you respond to it. So how do we apply this? How do we tie this all up? My life. How does that, how does that change anything for me? Well, very simply, when we hear and see the truth from God's Word, every Sunday in church, maybe in your own private devotional time, whenever you hear the truth, how do you respond to that? Or maybe the question is, do you respond to that? I wonder if there's not people in here this morning, you've heard sermon after sermon and message after message and plea after plea to receive Christ as your Savior, and yet either it goes over your head or you just sit there and go, yeah, that was a good sermon. Well, did it do anything? Did it, did it change anything? Do you just come to spectate? Do you just sit back and go, all right, that was a good song. That wasn't a good song. That was a good message. Well, that was funny. I went to camp this week up at Bethany Camp. One of the boys walked past me and goes, be funny, please. It was all, it was all encouragement that he wanted to give me. Be funny, please. You know, because that's what he was looking for. He wasn't like, would you please deliver us this great spiritual truth from God's word? Now, it was junior high camp, so I mean, I would have been very, I would have been knocked over if, if he had actually said that. But he just said, he, what, what was his biggest concern? Be funny. Keep me entertained. Have a good time. I want to have fun while I'm here at chapel, at camp. I wonder if, how many Christians feel that way sitting in the pew all across America, all across the world this morning. Just be funny, preacher. Be funny. Be brief. Be done. Let's go home. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happens with the truth that we hear? Hopefully, over however many times you've come to church and you've heard a sermon, you've heard at least one good one. Okay? What have you done with it? Seems like every week someone says, hey, that was a good sermon. Hey, thanks, Pastor. That was, that was a good message. That's great. I like to hear that. You kind of pat me on the back, stroke my, you know, stroke my feathers a little bit, make me feel good. But you know what really matters? 
when we see change from it. If, if, if nobody would ever come up and say, that was a good message, but people changed because of what they read from the Scriptures, because they let the Holy Spirit get in them and begin to work on them, that would be the most motivation to any preacher to say, I'm going to keep doing it because it's working. But it doesn't matter what's set up here if, if we're just going to sit there and go, oh, that was good. Click off the TV and walk away from it because it doesn't really change anything. Why are we doing this? What's the point? Go back in your mind to Nineveh so many thousands of years ago. Crazy man comes into town with this crazy message that this unknown God is going to send fiery judgment in 40 days. And they all get it. They all believe it. They all turn and they drop to their knees. They change their clothes to sackcloth. They sprinkle ashes on their heads. They begin to cry out to God. And most importantly, they change their behavior. And we get to that last verse and we find out what God did. He didn't send judgment. God repented of evil. Notice it said God saw their works. He didn't hear their prayer. He didn't see their clothes. He said he saw their works that they turned from their evil way. You've got to respond. We've been, we've looked at a couple of verses in James, so let me just leave you with one final verse from James. One passage. James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He says, if you want to be a hearer but not a doer, you're like the kid that has stuff all over his face. How many of you moms and dads know what I'm talking about? You got a kid sitting at the dinner table, they got stuff all over their face, and you say, go wash your face. What you mean is, go to the bathroom, look in the mirror, get some water, some soap, and wash. What do they do? You know, you missed it. You didn't see it. Go look in the mirror, wash your face. But I got it already. No, you did it. Here's what the, here's what he says. Here's what the Christian does. We go to the perfect law of liberty. That's God's word. It exposes my sin. I see it. I hear it. Wow, that's a great truth. And I walk away from it and I don't change it. I still have the dirt on my face. Because you're a hearer, but not a doer. It didn't, it didn't change you. What good is it then? The Bible is not a spell book. It's not Harry Potter where you say the magic verses and poof, your life changes. You gotta do something with it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta accept it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta respond. But it says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You've heard truth. Continue to hear truth. I, I want everyone to be here every service. That's why we do it. And that's why we're here. Nothing more uh, encouraging than to see a full house. I'm prepared for something all week and I love that. But more importantly than just sitting here and hearing it is, what are we doing with it? What are we, how are we going to respond to the truth that God has for us today?